Hey, thanks for joining me. This is Rachel O, your bathroom mystic. And I thought, all right, we're at our fourth episode. I know you well enough. I can tell you the meaning of life. It's something that I decided to make my personal journey uh, back in 2011. See, I was a great doomsdayer. And I was planning on the end of the world in 2012. When I say I was planning on it, I had been planning on the end of the world since 1984 when my scholastic reader told me that the Mayan calendar was going to end on December 21st, 2012. Why, if this ancient calendar was going to end, and all of the Spanish conquistadors or the uh, religious people had decided that we don't need to know this information and destroyed it all. Why? It was going to happen. The world was going to end and I had to be ready for it. I told my grandfather at the time and he took me immediately to a military um, Home Depot type of place. You know, those military surplus stores that have really old, cool stuff from different wars, from different eras, different countries. Well, this guy was all American. And when he found out that this little girl was going to prepare for the end of the world... Why, he took great joy in selling me plastic pouches of dehydrated food. Gotta get prepared. World's gonna end. Gotta be ready for it. How are you gonna survive? Now, if I think about it, if the world's gonna end, there really is no survival. I mean, that's it. It's over. So, how could you really prepare for the end of the world? That's kind of interesting. I never really thought of it that way. All of my doomsdaying, going to the different militia meetings, never once did I ever think about if it really was the end of the world and it just all exploded or burned or went into a great flood again. There would be no life existence would not exist. That's the end of the world. Hmm. Well, being that it's 2021 that I'm recording this, I guess the world did not end on December 21st, 2012. Of course, it was because I was in a Buddhist stupa doing prayers and mantras that entire day. And so... Me, like millions of others, prayed it away. Not really. There really is no end of the world. In fact, I've been through enough pandemics and natural disasters to understand that what is it really is is a transition or a change. When that my calendar ended, which it did end... It just marked the beginning of a new calendar. It just marks the beginning of something new. 
all of the great doomsdaying stuff I used to do, preparing for lack instead of living life, well, it, it became rather depressing. And I would meet up with others who had great contingency plans of living underground, living on yachts, living in caves. There are very extensive tunnels that have placed throughout different cities in history that always were to protect humankind. They exist still. I was privy to a few of them, but never had the financial budget to join in. So, being prepared for doomsday, but then when it never happens, just kind of always made me prepared. I did speak of natural disasters, the most recent most of you have gone through, the pandemic of 2020, being stuck at home without toilet paper and eggs. That was an awkward time. But Hurricane Katrina, that was another true natural disaster that I was able to experience. What did this teach me? Well, I was sitting in my bathroom on a Friday, getting ready for work, and my mother messages me and says, hey, did you know that there's a hurricane coming towards New Orleans? I laughed and I said, there's always a hurricane coming towards New Orleans. It'll change its route. It always does. I got to get to work. So I went to work that day. I was a general manager of a TV station and we were on location filming. It was our last day of a long week. And we finished up a little early. There were some mentions of a storm, but nothing unusual. The talk was about hurricane parties. You know, that's what we did in the South. We didn't go and stock up on water. We would stock up on rum and vodka and beer. Make sure that we had mixers as well. Of course, not everybody stocked up on alcohol. There was a few smart people who went to their uh, drug dealers and got as much weed as they could carry. And yes, it was weed, not cannabis, because it was illegal in Louisiana. Even though, ironically, medical cannabis has been on the books for 10 years, but nothing has ever been done about it. I digress. Back to the story of what is the meaning of life. So... As I uh, got done with my Friday's day of work, we were at Marky's bar and everybody was just chatting. Nothing unusual. Yeah, there's another rainstorm coming. We all laughed and drank up our beer. We decided to meet on Saturday to begin our hurricane party within the bar. I went home that night 
as normal, but when I woke up on Saturday, something was different this time in the bathroom. My joyous morning in the bathroom by myself, that beautiful silence or hearing the noise of the trumpets being played by the kids next door as they practice. I actually liked that. The sound of the train that was only three blocks away. The conductor lived in the bywater, so she would pull on her horn every time she passed at 7 a.m., making sure that we all knew she was there and that she hadn't forgot where she came from. But this Saturday morning in my bathroom was different. There was a a collective panic within my being. And I do mean a collective panic. At this time, I was not into my great healing modalities. I did not know how to meditate. I was completely wound up and out of whack. I thought maybe I should just go smoke a joint. That would make me feel better. 7 a.m. on a Saturday afternoon with my only plans is going to Marky's bar to begin a celebration of a hurricane. Something was different this time. I couldn't go number two. My colitis was acting up and I was constipated. It felt kind of like a heavy brick. There was an anxiety deep inside of me that I needed to start packing up and get the hell out of Dodge. But I didn't understand it because, well, we'd been through so many hurricanes before. This one wasn't going to be any different. Still, I tried to push out and nothing came. So I thought I would go and drink some hot lemon water and maybe uh, loosen the stools a little, get the day going. Well, just as we had planned, we ended up at Marky's bar again that Saturday afternoon and we started doing our thing. That's right, drinking. And it was a glorious day. We laughed and cheered and we hugged and we loved each other. And it was so foreshadowing. But this overwhelming, freaky feeling I was having inside would not go away. It was as though there was a little girl with cowboy boots inside of me kicking me in the gut. Literally kicking me in the gut. I I couldn't drink anymore. I I couldn't even get stoned anymore. I was completely panicked and out of my head. And now they're telling us to take this hurricane seriously. That the cone of uncertainty is getting closer to New Orleans. And that we are below sea level. And we were pretty much fucked. But the boys kept drinking. 
So I couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, I was doubling over in pain. The voices in my head were at an all time high. So I went home and left my first husband at the bar. He's fine. Couldn't get much more drunk. And I did what my gut told me to do. I started packing. I started packing things like my passport and insurance papers and cookbooks and photo albums. I packed up my computer. I started packing things as though I may not ever return to this house again. I started sealing rooms, shutting windows, uh, closing shutters, doing the best that I could, and within two hours decided it was time to go and pick up the drunk. Now it was around four o'clock in the afternoon or so, and the city was on high alert. They were highly recommending that we get out of town. And so I picked up my drunk ass husband at the time and shoved him into bed because he was so drunk all he could do was pass out. Mumbling celebrations of the hurricane party being the best ever. And the bets of where the cone of uncertainty was going. As he slept, I continued to pack up things. The uh, large computer at home, I packed it up and put it up. I sealed as many things as I could. I grabbed clothes, but I mean, not a bunch of things. But I started filling the car up. It was about nine o'clock at night. I realized that I needed to find us a place to go. And there was an intern who had just come to New Orleans to work in the glass studio with my first husband. And she was from Canada. She didn't know what was happening. So I told her to start packing up her stuff too. It's time for us to go. So as I packed up everything that I could think of, I started looking for a hotel. And I was very fortunate to book the last hotel room available in Houston. That was the closest that I could find. It's only a eight hour drive, so no big deal. But this $150 room that I booked for two nights, just in case, I thought would be a nice little staycation or hurricane vacation, get out of the house. It had a pool and unlimited porn. How awesome was that? So now it's about mm, 10 o'clock at night and the first husband finally wakes up. 
And he wakes up in a full-blown panic. He's hungover. He's still slightly drunk. He's super stoned. And he unwillingly throws a few boards across the windows and tells me that he's getting the house ready for the hurricane. I said that I felt that we should probably leave sooner than later for Houston. Um, Traffic is probably getting pretty backed up right about now. Uh, The young woman decided to follow us in her car. About 2.33, in the morning, neither one of us could handle it anymore, and we decided it was time to get out. I was already, all ready to go. He grabbed a few bathroom things and maybe one or two change of clothes, threw it in the back of the truck with everything else, and it was raining now. The cone of certainty has gotten tighter, and it looked like New Orleans was going to be a perfect hit. We began driving to Houston. What should have taken us eight hours took 23 hours and 45 minutes. And that is without stops. Our average speed was 15 miles an hour. I prayed to God that there was not going to be any road rage, as my first husband was not the most polite driver. And he was anxiety ridden as well. It was the worst drive of my life. I was so panicked and wound up, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sit there, I couldn't do anything but stare at the tail lights in front of me. It took an hour and a half to get from the bywater where we lived to Kenner before we even could cross the bridge to get to Baton Rouge. From the bridge to Baton Rouge, that was a good four-hour drive, which should have taken 40 minutes. And then between traffic and road construction and people running out of gas and you name it, finally made it to Houston. We got there just as the hurricane was touching down to New Orleans. Went right up the mouth. You could hear the cries of the children. You could hear how the hurricane was blowing. What we didn't know at the time was that Katrina was truly clearing out New Orleans. It was clearing out all of the old ways. It was clearing out so much hate and anger and fear over centuries. I mean, the slave ships that had 
mysteriously died or disappeared. There were huge underground, still to this day, there are underground tunnels in New Orleans where they would bring the slaves in and out. What they did to the Native Americans isn't even spoken about, let alone what they did to African Americans. New Orleans, as great as it is with its culture, it's seeded in a nasty, ugly history. I mean, it was started by prisoners. It was started by people looking for religious freedoms. It wasn't even supposed to be built there. The story with Bienville and Iberville, the founders of the city, was to look for a Native American wearing the hat. Well, they didn't understand that the indigenous of North America wandered around, and so he met him in Baton Rouge, and that's where New Orleans was supposed to be built, because that's on good ground. But instead, he was hunting, fishing, and they found him on the shores of New Orleans. And so that's where New Orleans got its start. And now it's being cleansed by Katrina. Purged. I don't think I slept for at least three days. The hotel that we were in was rented by the hour and I could see by the lady of the evening down the street, she was mad that I had her room. But there was a good chance I just lost my house. So my sorrow and the crying eyes, she walked away. As I stared at myself in the ceiling, in the round bed, in the sex-driven room, I was thinking how much fun this would have been at any other time except for right now. Even the unlimited porn and the free lube couldn't get my sexual desires going. Instead, it just made me numb. I think I just lost my city. I think we just lost everything. My first husband was beyond sad. He was always borderline depressed. This, this was the, the biggest thing ever to destroy his life. We spent the next six weeks traveling around the United States, staying at family and friends' house, being refugees. There was even a two weeks in there that we did a trip to Germany. It was his big art moment. He was supposed to do this big sculpture. We couldn't bring the last few pieces. Obviously, they got lost in the storm. So he would have to do with whatever was there and available for him to make. The show would happen just not in the grand way of 
the original desires. We got to see the true colors of different family and friends while we were traveling across the United States. I can't express the feeling of not knowing if you have a home or not. It was an awkward, awkward feeling. And yet when we were finally given the go-ahead to go home again, to have the barricades removed, to have the U.S. Marines escort you to your house, because it's not that you don't know if your house was still standing at this point, you don't know if squatters had taken it over. You don't know if there were dead bodies inside. Sure as hell smelled like it. You could smell the rotting corpses, the rotting food, miles before you even reached New Orleans. As we drove in on that first day that they opened it up to civilians, it was eerily quiet. But we knew it was time to go back. As we stepped into the fly-ridden, disgusting-smelling house. It was still standing. There were holes in the parapet, so water had leaked into the front of the house and the back of the house. And the backyard was a huge disaster. There's more to this story, and we'll continue next week. But what Katrina taught me was that life can change at any given moment. And if we listen to our gut, if we listen to ourselves, you will always be taken care of. I listened to that little girl inside of me. I listened to my inner child. When she was kicking me with her cowboy boots, telling me that I needed to go get prepared, I did it. I have talked to thousands of Hurricane Katrina survivors and not one, not one can tell me that they grabbed photo albums and packed as though that they would never see their house again. I did. I had insurance papers. I had passports. I had cookbooks. I had my great-grandmother's quilt. I had lost very little in the house itself other than the refrigerator, a closet full of clothes, and paperwork from the Glass Art Society Conference, now all mold-ridden. But I didn't lose the home, and I didn't lose my mind. I listened to myself. I didn't listen to others because they were off getting drunk. I listened to what my heart said. That is when I understood the meaning of life. 
The whole meaning of life wasn't to be prepared for the doomsday. It's not to be prepared for the end of the world. It is to actually live every moment. It's to take this now moment and be in joy and happiness because anything could take it away at any moment. Whether it's a fire, a hurricane, an earthquake, or a pandemic. Don't wait for something to take away your happiness or to warn you. Instead, understand that right now in this moment, well, we're supposed to be having fun. You are supposed to be joy. I am love. And everything is going to be okay. So that's the meaning of life. That's it. To live in this now present moment. To be happy. To be compassionate. To be tolerant of others who don't believe the same as you. To find a way just to be you. Don't wait for a disaster to make you realize how wonderful you are in this moment. Life is to be lived, not just remembered. So live today. I'm Rachel, your bathroom mystic.